Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. This is... Flowery Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, which of course is also called Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday for all of us who are on the Gregorian calendar. And this Sunday then begins Great Week or Holy Week, Week of the Bridegroom, as we call it in the Eastern churches. It is a separate week from Lent in the Western long of the church, Latin rite. Lent continues until the tritium, but for the many of the Eastern rites, Lent has ended already and we have a separate week. Now, this great and holy week, this week of the bridegroom, it was actually the original Ninevite fast of the early Christians. Ninevite meaning Nineveh. Remember that, where the prophet Jonah was from? When he warned them to repent so they would not be destroyed by God, by God's wrath, and God stayed his hand because they did repent. Well, that fast became the fast of the catechumenate, who, before they were going to be baptized at the Paschal Vigil on Holding Great Saturday night, they would keep a strict fast the week before. And that was the ancient fast that was expanded now into what we know as Lent, you know, the 40 days. It came a little bit later, uh, many centuries ago, but still later than that original fast or penitential period of Great and Holy Week. And it would only make sense that this Great and Holiest of Weeks would be observed by any Christian with a great deal of abstinence and repentance, because we're following Christ step by step, especially through the liturgy, into his ultimate suffering and death on the cross, and of course, his, his triumph, his resurrection. We call this Flowery Sunday in the Eastern churches because we use a lot of flowers, and it's also coming into springtime. But this Flowery Sunday, this Palm Sunday, is very special this particular year because the Feast of the Annunciation falls on the same day. And that's of particular interest to me because my parish is called Annunciation Byzantine Catholic. And of course, you can find out more about it by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com. The Feast of the Annunciation takes a great deal of precedence 
even though it falls during Lent, sometimes even falls like last year, on Great and Holy Friday. How about that for a liturgical challenge? (laughs) Well, this year it falls on another significant day, and that, of course, is today, Palm Sunday. And it has a certain precedence. In other words, we celebrate both the Flowery Sunday, Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. At the same time, we will celebrate the Annunciation. Why is that? Because as the Church Fathers teach us, if it wasn't for the Annunciation, Palm Sunday, the crucifixion, the resurrection, nothing else would have happened. So it all began with his incarnation in the womb of the Mother of God, nine months, of course, before he is born, nine months before December 25th. So March 25th, the observance of the Annunciation of the Mother of God is also something that came a little bit later. Early on, the incarnation of Christ, in other words, his conception in the womb of the Mother of God through the Holy Spirit, was actually celebrated in the Eastern churches on the day after Christmas, because the day after Christmas is the Feast of the Mother of God. It's just straight-out Feast of the Mother of God. We commemorate the Virgin Mary for her pivotal role in the birth of Christ. And so they would align the birth and Christ's conception together in this feast day. A little bit later on then, they separated it out. So now we have nine months before Christ's birth, we have the observance of his being conceived. In other words, the Annunciation, when Gabriel comes and announces the good news that the Virgin Mary will be with child through the Holy Spirit, not through any human man, but through the Holy Spirit. So this has a great prominence, especially in the Eastern churches. And on this Valerie Sunday, though, we have a custom in the churches to, of course, carry palms. Most of the time in America, it's basically reeds, looks like almost like cattail reeds or something like that, because let's face it, except in like California, maybe Florida, some of those really warm tropical or semi-tropical climates in America, we don't have a whole lot of palm trees here, so we have to use something else. So we generally use the reeds. But also, in my particular church, it's a church that is of Slavic origin, coming from Central Europe. One of the first things to sprout, to bud, as many of you know, too, if you had them in your yards, is the pussy willow tree. And so in areas like Slovakia and Ukraine, on Palm Sunday, they would cut the branches of the pussy willow trees, and they would hand those out along with the palm branches or the reeds, but especially the pussy willow branches. And it's quite spectacular in our church when you hand these things out before the beginning of liturgy on Palm Sunday, and we bless them, and we go in a procession around the church singing hymns, and then we enter the church, and everybody's holding those palms. They also have flowers, and they have reeds, and it's really quite spectacular. You really get that sense of, you can almost picture it, the people, as Jesus comes in Jerusalem and they cut palm branches and they wave them, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And he comes in on a white donkey, a colt, which as we read in the prophets of Zechariah and Zephaniah, those are the Old Testament readings for this day, come from Zephaniah chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 9, two prophets. They spoke about the prince of peace coming into Zion, to the Jerusalem, coming in mountain on a colt, a colt that was a like a mule or a donkey that was white, because this symbolized a prince of peace, not a warrior coming in on a big horse mounted on top like you see these great statues. No, this is Christ coming humbly, the prince of peace coming humbly on a donkey. And the children lay branches and coats and things because they, you know, Christ is coming in. You figure the, <laughs> the ground is going to be a little bit dirty. 
So they're honoring Christ by laying things in front of him so that his very mule that he's on, the donkey that he's riding on, does not even touch the dirty ground. It's a very interesting depiction of that in the icon for Palm Sunday or Flower Sunday in the Eastern churches. So it's a really colorful, rich period, and it's one that anticipates in its joy, especially, Christ's resurrection. We also had another anticipation just yesterday on Lazarus Saturday. Now, Lazarus Saturday is very significant because once again, like Palm Sunday, we have an anticipation of the big thing that's going to happen, the anticipation of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, but not only him, his resurrection, our resurrection. See, Lazarus Saturday is very significant. It's a long, beautiful story where Jesus Christ comes upon Lazarus and two things are revealed, his divinity, Christ's divinity, and his humanity. I always say that it's not just the devil that's in the details, as we say, but I like to say God is in the details, especially in the details of scriptural accounts. In this scriptural account, Jesus is depicted as literally shedding tears when he sees his, when he sees the tomb of his friend, and Lazarus was his friend. He sees the tomb of his friend and he weeps. He weeps in the face of the death of his own friend, which shows him to be fully human and horrified at this which is the opposite of him who is God. You know, he did not create us for death. Here he's witnessing as a human what is the opposite of him as God. So he shows his full humanness, his caring, his love, his tenderness, his brokenheartedness, his horror at the sight of death. It says we have a horror of it. But then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And there's another detail that's very important here. The scripture says that Lazarus was dead for four days. And in fact, what we do leading up to Palm Sunday and Lazarus Saturday in the Eastern calendar is the liturgical text will actually go day by day. It'll actually say things like, today Lazarus becomes ill. That's like on Wednesday. Then the next day, Lazarus is getting more ill or more, you know, he's still sick. He's headed to the grave. Then all the way to the point where they, he dies, he's buried and his sisters are upset because Jesus knew about this. Jesus purposely stalled on his way to Bethany to see Lazarus. He knew he was sick. Martha and Mary knew that Jesus knew, and they're upset that he didn't do something. He didn't hurry on. And he explains to them, which is an explanation to us, are told by God, whether we accept it or not, but we have to hear this. We don't like this usually, but he tells them as he tells us, it's a great lesson for us, that I let bad happen so that something greater a greater good can come of it. God seems to do that all the time. We get frustrated with that. We don't like that. We don't understand it, but we're better off if we accept it, as was Martha and Mary, because little did they know Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead, not just raise him, but anticipate, anticipate his own resurrection from the dead, Christ's own resurrection, and here comes the haymaker, ready? our own resurrection of the dead, and our eschatological destiny, that we will rise again, body and soul reunited, healthy, whole again, spiritualized, glorious, beautiful, and be with Christ forever. This is all happening in that moment, a glorious, glorious occurrence. So Jesus lets the bad happen, the death happen. It's almost like, so what? Who cares? in contrast to the glory that is about to unfold and the glory that is being foreshadowed by the raising of Lazarus 
from the dead. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this magnificent day of Flowery Sunday, Palm Sunday, as well as a little bit about the week ahead, the week of the bridegroom. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We were talking about Flowery Sunday and also the day leading up to that. Actually, there's several days leading up to that, which have to do with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The two of them always go together because they're both anticipating Christ's resurrection and also our own resurrection. So Jesus would drop a lot of hints along the way, a lot of little moments of encouragement. And most of the time, people didn't pick up on that, but he still did it anyway. Well, on this Flowery Sunday, we pray things like this. Come, all you peoples and nations, and contemplate today the King of Heaven. He enters Jerusalem, humbly seated upon a colt, as upon an exalted throne. O people, see the Lord, who became flesh to save us, according to the vision of the prophet Isaiah. Behold the spouse of the new Zion. For his most pure and immaculate wedding feast, the multitude of innocent children run after him, singing praise. Therefore, with the angels, we also sing, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who brings salvation to us. Now that liturgical text, and again, this would be chanted. This comes from the Matin service today of Palm and Flowery Sunday in the Byzantine church. Notice how it wove together the whole story. It talked about how the Lord would become flesh according to the vision of the prophet Isaiah. So that points now back to his incarnation, his birth, as we spoke about earlier before the break. Then it talks about, behold, the spouse of the new Zion. There's that spousal mystery. And this is why we call this week in our church the week of the bridegroom. This is the great, magnificent, mystical, nuptial reality. The marriage between Christ, the bridegroom, and now his bride, which will be consummated on the bed of the cross. And that's why on, on the Paschal Sunday, on Pascha, also known as Easter, we will sing in our church, Christ emerges from the tomb like a bridegroom from the bridal chamber and fills the women with joy. Very, very spousal. 
And so both these concepts, the whole story, the whole cycle of Christ's birth and his death and resurrection is woven in the beautiful words of this prayer. So there's a lot of richness today in this feast of the palms or the feast of the flowers, as we call it also in some of the Eastern Catholic churches. It's a feast in which we find some joy as Christ would do. He would give us joy. Ever notice that in your life? And, and I encourage you to look at this. I know I do it for myself when I start to feel like, well, kind of a little downhearted, a little dejected, like as though there's not a lot of hope. What I find is that I look, I try to keep my eyes open and look to see how God will send me some kind of shaft of hope. And he always does. And I always conclude that he sends to me not what I want necessarily, but what I need. Because I want the shafts of hope every day, every minute. I want all reaction to me, all data input, all reality to be like Palm Sunday and Pascha, all wonderful and beautiful and affirmative. But it's not that way. So we need, I certainly need, some of these shafts of light, of encouragement. And I find that if I remain open and vigilant, God always comes up with these things. He gives me what I need, not necessarily what I want or would like, but they are encouraging nonetheless. It's almost like God's little wink. Well, that's what he's doing on Palm Sunday. He's giving us a little wink because he knows we're about to go into some pretty dark days. Let's face it, his apostles those who were closest to him, they heard him. They broke bread with him. They will share the Eucharist with him, that first Eucharist. They saw him create miracles. They heard the sweetness of his voice, the look in his eye, the tenderness, the love that he showed them and others. They saw all that. They lived with it. And they still abandoned him a few days after Palm Sunday. So God is giving us that wink knowing that we, like the apostles, will go through some very dark, trying days ahead. But there'll be ultimate victory at the end. He's just kind of foreshadowing that victory now as a distant echo of the ultimate victory going on. But we're going to go into some dark days. Remember when Christ was transfigured on Mount Tabor, another big feast in the Eastern churches, Peter, James, and John were there, and they wanted to stay up there because it was beautiful. They saw Christ's divinity. They saw the glory of humanity, of their own humanity, reflected in Christ's transfigured humanity. Well, when they came down the mountain and they asked Christ if they could stay, he said, no, no, I, I have to go. I have to go. The Son of Man has to go now to Jerusalem. Well, he will suffer and die. And they didn't understand that, but that's why Jesus gave them that glimpse of glory so that they would be strengthened. They would remember that during the dark days, the dark days ahead. And that's the same thing with us. That's why Palm Sunday is put before us in the church. Remember the foreshadowing of glory for the dark days ahead. And these days ahead should be very much days of repentance. The following day is going to be what we call Great Monday, and each day has themes in it throughout the week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. As I mentioned, in the Latin Rite Church, you really kick in the high gear, the tritium, starting on Thursday. Well, we do that already starting really on Lazarus Saturday. So actually, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the first three days of Great Week, are known as the Days of the Bridegroom. Christ has arrived in Jerusalem to save his people, like we're celebrating today on Palm Sunday. He takes us to himself like a groom takes a bride. 
On Great Monday, the church invites us to consider the passion of Christ, which is represented under the figure of Joseph of the Old Testament, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, slandered for his chastity, and thrown into prison. So here you have a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of Christ in the person of Joseph. Eventually, Joseph was released and attained high rank among the Egyptian captors. He then reconciled with his brothers and is reunited with his family. Joseph, of course, symbolizes Christ's suffering and triumph. And the readings come from Matthew, Ezekiel, Exodus, and Job. On the next day, Tuesday, our attention is directed to the parable of the ten virgins, teaching us to be ready for judgment day. Remember that? There were the wise virgins and the unwise virgins. The wise virgins got their oil and their lamps ready in anticipation of the coming of the bridegroom. And the unwise virgins did not. And so they begged, oh, gee, please, can we come too? No, it's too late. Another warning for us too. You know, the Eastern Fathers tell us, if you want to grow in perfection and holiness, think about your judgment, your death and judgment every day, for a few minutes every day. That'll get you to clean up your act. If you really think about it and do what I think fewer and fewer people do today, they don't believe it. They don't think that we're going to be judged, that there is a possibility of not being saved. I don't think a lot of people believe that anymore today. But that's the truth. And as always, the church puts the truth in front of her eyes in its liturgical tradition, such as today and Tuesday. The reality that the bridegroom will come when we least expect it. And we have to be ready. The readings are from Matthew 24, Luke, the first chapter, the prophet Ezekiel, the first chapter, and Job also, the first chapter. Now, Wednesday. This is an interesting day because we have the anointing of the sick on this day. And we commemorate the repentant harlot who anointed Christ's feet as he sat in the house of Simon. And this is contrasted with the agreement Judas makes with the Jewish authorities to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. At the evening service, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is celebrated for the healing of our souls and bodies in preparation for receiving Holy Communion the next day, which commemorates the mystical supper, also known as the Last Supper, that first Eucharist. Lots of readings for this day, John, Ezekiel, Exodus, Job, and Matthew. And then, then, of course, we come to Thursday itself. Lots of things going on on Thursday. We have the washing of the feet, in Eastern churches, the bishop will consecrate the holy chrism, the chrism oil that will be distributed to every parish. Then we also have, of course, the commemoration of, of the first mystical supper. The bishop will also bless, and he'll bless with the holy chrism, the antimensians. In other words, they're the altar cloths. They're a piece of cloth in which a relic is sewn in it. It's sort of, sort of the counterpart to the Latin rite version of the altar stone, where you always have to celebrate the Mass, you know, the Eucharist, the liturgy, over a relic of a saint. And so the relic is sewn into the cloth, and the cloth, like the chrism, is given to every parish. This is a sign of each pastor and parish being under the authority of that particular bishop. Then, of course, Great and Holy Friday, magnificent day, with the reading of the 12 Passion Gospels. There's only 12 Gospels, but we say 12, meaning we have 12 readings in which all the different renditions of Christ's passion and death are read from the four Gospels. Then we have the royal hours, and then at night, beautiful vespers with the procession with the burial shroud laid in a tomb, and the church remains open throughout the night. It becomes in the tomb of Christ, and we come and spend an hour with the Lord during the all-night vigil, anticipating 
his resurrection, which will come after tomorrow, which is Saturday. Saturday, we had the magnificent Jerusalem Matins, which commemorates Christ descending into hell, doing the great battle with Satan, breaking the bonds of hell, releasing the captives there, symbolized by Adam and Eve and the icon, and rising up. Now, that's the action of the resurrection, the defeat of Satan, the great battle. The next day, Resurrection Sunday, we will hear of this good news. We will become then the myrrh-bearing women who hear the good news and take it to the apostles. But we'll hear more about that next week on the great and holy day of days, the eighth day, the Resurrection Day. I want to thank you for listening. Have a most blessed Holy Week, Tritium, Great Week, Week of the Bridegroom. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. drives us from within. We're giving you the whole picture, real life and faith. Chris Stefanik is on a journey to uncover the bold, courageous Catholic faith found in the hearts of people all over the world. Meet the everyday Catholics who inspire him as they show the world how amazing faith makes everyday life. Real Life Catholic with Chris Stefanik, Thursday, 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Television. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!